0: Well, hey, as Steve mentioned, we are continuing our series on prayer, and it's called The Circle Maker. If you weren't here last week, you can go online to genesischurch.me, and you can listen to the podcast online. Steve preached here last week. I preached at the Noblesville campus, and so if you missed last week, I'd encourage you to do that. And um, I love, I love the topic of prayer. Uh, in fact, this is one of the probably the primary topics that I'm most passionate about when it comes to helping people grow in their walk with God, because I know that prayer is essential to having a close relationship with God and to having the relationship with God that God wants and intends for us to have with Him. Today, we're going to look at... uh, Psalm 145, and so if you have your Bibles, you can turn to Psalm 145, or if you use a smartphone, iPhone or something, you want to go to Psalm 145. If you don't have one, there are several of these Bibles that are um, spread throughout the room underneath some seats. If you see one of those, you want to grab one and pick it up. It's on page 435 in this Bible, and we're going to read through the entire Psalm in just a minute, so I'd encourage you to pick that up and follow along with us. Uh, If you don't have a Bible, uh, take that home with you. That's our gift from... Uh, That's our gift to you. So I believe many of us struggle to have a vibrant prayer life because we have an inaccurate view of who God really is. And today I want us to look at Psalm 145 and I want us to learn from King David. And King David had a strong prayer life and we're going to learn what it is Uh, we're going to learn a few lessons from King David and from how he viewed God. Before we get started, I'd love to just uh, pray for us, and would you mind praying with me? Father, thanks for uh, today. I am thankful for the fact that you've brought each one of these people in the room here this morning. I trust that each one of them are here because you have something to say to them. Lord, I don't believe in accidents. I believe you're the great conductor, that you orchestrate all things, and that even today you have an appointment for each one of us, that you want to bear fruit in our hearts and in our lives. And so, Holy Spirit, we ask you to open our hearts. God, I pray that we would hear your voice today. And I pray that as we hear your voice, that we would turn toward you, God. And would you bear fruit in us, Lord Jesus? in such a way that it brings you glory and honor today. And it's in your name we pray, Jesus. Amen. So one of my favorite authors is a guy by the name of A.W. Tozer. He passed away years ago, but he's a former pastor and author. And A.W. Tozer has got a famous quote. You may have heard this before. He says, what comes into our mind when we think about God is the most important thing about us. Think about that. What comes into our mind when we think about or when we view or when we consider who God is, that image, that thought is the most important thing about us. Our view of God greatly affects the way we pray. In fact, some would say it's absolutely essential to have an accurate view of God in order to have an effective and enjoyable prayer life. In Psalm 145, we're going to see that one of the reasons why David... King David had a vibrant prayer life was because he had an accurate view of who God was. And Psalm 145 is a prayer, essentially. In fact, many of the psalms are either prayers or songs. And so we're going to look in on David's prayer life and a prayer of David's. And it's a prayer of praise and thanksgiving. And and King David is going to, throughout this psalm, he's going to compliment and appreciate God for who he is. He's going to praise God for all that God has done. And so I want you to follow along as I read Psalm 145. Now I want you to listen for the various ways in which David views God. Let's read this together. Or I'll read, you follow along. (laughs) I will exalt you, my God, the King. I will praise your name forever and ever. Every day I will praise you and extol your name forever and ever. Great is the Lord and most worthy of praise. His greatness no one can fathom. One generation commends your works to another. They tell of your mighty acts. They speak of the glorious splendor of your majesty. And I will meditate on your wonderful works. They tell of the power of your awesome works. And I will proclaim your great deeds. They celebrate your abundant goodness and joyfully sing of your righteousness. The Lord is gracious and compassionate. He is slow to anger and rich in love. The Lord is good to all. He has compassion on all he has made. All your works praise you, Lord. Your faithful people extol you. They tell of the glory of your kingdom and speak of your might so that all the people may know of your mighty acts and the glorious splendor of your kingdom. Your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom and your dominion endures through all generations. The Lord is trustworthy in all his promises and He faithful in all he does. The Lord upholds all who fall down and lifts up all who are bowed down. The eyes of all look to you and you give them their food at the proper time. You open your hand and satisfy the desires of every living thing. Verse 17. The Lord is righteous in all his ways and faithful in all he does. The Lord is near to all who call on him, to all who call on him in truth. He fulfills the desires of those who fear him, and he hears their cry and saves them. The Lord watches over all those who love him, but all the wicked he will destroy. David says, my mouth will speak in praise of the Lord. Let every creature praise his holy name forever and ever. Amen. Boy, it doesn't take a... Biblical scholar to just listen to David and think about David has a really high view of God. And today we can't go through all of those different views that David has of God, but we're going to look at three of them specifically. We're going to start with verse 3. Look at verse 3. David said, Great is the Lord and most worthy of praise. His greatness no one can fathom. David understood and viewed God as a great God. In fact, when it comes to prayer, we need to be reminded and this is in your notes, number one, that God is greater than you can imagine. God is greater than you can imagine. Whatever thoughts you have about how great God is, they're not great enough. No one can fathom, David says, how great God is. Nothing reminds me, personally, of how big and how great God is, like looking up at the sky at night and seeing all the stars. I mean, don't you get this? When you look up at night, you get a clear sky. I remember one of the clearest skies I ever had was when I went to West Virginia, and I went to do some whitewater rafting with some friends in the New River in West Virginia. Anybody ever been there? All right, got a few. And so uh, we stayed. We camped out uh, late at night on top of a mountain, and the the sky, there was not a cloud in the sky. There were no city lights anywhere near. And I'll never forget the view that night. The stars were amazing. I've never seen stars like that before. Just shades of white. There were so many of them. And so when we look up at the sky, we're reminded of how great God is, and we're reminded of his, his, how big He is. This week, I did some research on space.com, and uh, so I want to know kind of how big our universe really is, at least how big the experts think that it is. I found out that our galaxy, our galaxy, the Milky Way galaxy, we all know the Milky Way galaxy, uh, our galaxy contains 200 billion stars. How about that? 200 billion stars. They estimate that there are almost 200 billion galaxies in the entire universe. So, catch this. There are 200 billion stars in our galaxy. There are 200 billion galaxies in the entire universe, they estimate. Does anybody got a calculator? Can anybody, have got any math wizards in the room? Like, that is huge. I'm like, how, how is that possible? One scientist said this this is the funniest line of the article. One scientist said this. He said, "This number is likely to increase as, techno- as telescope technology improves." <laughs> Basically, they're saying, every time we get a, a bigger telescope, we realize the universe is bigger than we thought." And oh, by the way, I have a date you may want to write down if you've got your calendar, you want to write this in your program. Uh, important date. Apparently, according to this article, in about 400 bi- in about, I'm sorry, in about four billion years. Okay. About four billion years, our galaxy, the Milky Way galaxy, is going to collide with a neighboring galaxy, and uh, you you might want to be prepared for that. That could get that could get ugly. Um, just put that on your calendar. I'm like, who says that? Why did they put that on the website? Like, what's the point of that? Hey, we're all going to die in four billion years. Uh, author and pastor Louis Giglio says this. He says the heavens are shouting down to us, and they are telling us that God is greater than any thought we've ever had of Him. That He, God, is greater than any problem we face, and He's greater than anything this world may throw our way. And that the heavens are like a billboard that remind us of God's greatness day after day and night after night. Genesis 1-1 says that God created the heavens and the earth. That we're not here by accident, and we're not here by chance. But that God created everything we see. God created even you and me. So when we pray... We are praying to the Creator. We're praying to our Creator. And the magnitude of His greatness should bring about a sense of security. I tell my daughter all the time, my two-and-a-half-year-old daughter, I tell her, honey, Daddy is the strongest man in the world. And that's true. Why do I tell her that? I tell her that because I want her to feel safe, and I want her to know that she's secure with me and that she can trust me. God wants us to know that He is big enough To handle anything we bring him in prayer. So maybe you find yourself this morning. Facing some circumstances and you're not sure how big God is. I mean, is God bigger than the cancer? Is he big enough to handle your pain and your disappointment right now? Is he big enough to handle your your questions? Is God big enough to take the pieces of your life and to put them back together? Can he do that? Is God big enough to restore healing and hope to your heart? Is God big enough to bring salvation to your family members and your friends? Is God big enough to fulfill your dreams and your greatest desires? Mark Batterson, the author of The Circle Maker, says this. God is infinitely bigger than your biggest problem or your biggest dream. So when you pray, follow David's example and remind yourself that God is greater than you can imagine, that he's bigger than anything you face in this life. And just as David did here in Psalm 145, it says in verse 5 that David said, he said, I will meditate on your wonderful works. From time to time, I'll do this. I'll spend, when I get in prayer, I'll spend a few minutes just thinking about and considering that God created all 7 billion people on the face of the earth. That he knows every person by name on the face of the earth. And that he knows every star by name, the Bible says. And when I consider that, when I take time and speak, take a few minutes to consider that, can I tell you what happens? I get so humbled. I feel so small. He feels so big. And all of a sudden, well, I get a headache because you start thinking about that. It really just like, makes your mind explode. But I start thinking about that, and I, I, I begin to appreciate His greatness, and how in light of his greatness, my prayer requests don't seem so big. God is greater than you can imagine, but he's also more gracious than you can imagine. Look back at Psalm 145. Let's zero in on a statement that David made in his prayer in verses 8 and 9. He said, the Lord is gracious and compassionate. He's slow to anger and rich in love. The Lord is good to all. He has compassion on all he has made. When you consider the greatness of God, it could be intimidating, right? I mean, you think about the magnitude of a God that big, it can be intimidating. But here's what I want to remind you this morning is that God's, the magnitude of God's greatness is only equal to the magnitude of his grace. And that in this prayer, we see David recognize that God is more gracious than we can ever imagine, That's in your notes. God is more gracious than you can imagine. Let me ask you this. When you pray, what what do you imagine God is thinking or feeling when you pray to him? What comes to your mind? Here, what we're going to do. We're going to do a quick little exercise. Okay, it's going to make everybody a little uncomfortable. That's good. I like doing that. Uh, I want everybody to close their eyes. Okay, let's just do this. I promise it'll take about 60 seconds. Close your eyes for me. I'm going to ask you a question, and I want you to answer this question to yourself. Okay, here's the question. If you had to choose one word or one emotion that would describe how God feels about you, what would it be? If you had to choose one word or emotion that would describe how God feels about you, what would it be? How would you answer that question? Okay, you can open your eyes. I wonder what came to your mind. We don't have time to go around the room and uh, kind of share any thoughts that may have come to your mind. If you're taking notes, I'd encourage you to write that down in the program if something came to your mind. But I find one of the primary reasons why people lack a vibrant prayer life is that they feel like God has negative or neutral emotions towards them. Negative or neutral emotions towards them. They think that God is angry or disappointed, or maybe just even worse, indifferent towards them. And they don't see God as having any positive emotions. This view of God will absolutely handicap your prayer life. And you will not experience the relationship that God longs to have with you. Unless you're able to get your heart and your mind around this truth. That God enjoys you. That God delights in you, the Bible says. That God loves you. That he has a joyful expression on his face when you pray to him. You won't experience the effective and enjoyable prayer life that he wants you to have. God is not looking at you when you pray with his arms crossed and with an expression of disappointment on his face. We hear that God has forgiven us. We hear that in Christ we've been forgiven and we have grace. But oftentimes it stays in the head. And if we dug down into our hearts, I believe that for many of us, we'd find a lie. A lie that we're all believing. And it's a lie from the enemy, a lie from Satan. And here's the lie. God has forgiven you, but he still sees you as a failure. We believe that God has these underlying feelings of disappointment towards us. I was sitting outside of Starbucks this week preparing for my message. And I was watching as some lady pulled in the parking lot. And um, she goes to Parallel Park in one of the open, par- open parking spots, and I'm sitting here just kind of watching. And, and as she backs up into the open spot, she hits the car that's parked behind her. And, of course, the first thing I do is laugh because I'm a horrible person. Why is it so easy to laugh when people like, laugh at other people's mistakes? So I'm sitting there laughing. I'm thinking, oh, this is going to be fun. I, just, I get to watch an accident. And so... She gets out of the car and she walks around. She parks the car, gets out, walks around. She looks to assess the damage. And you know, to be honest with you, she didn't hit it very hard. It didn't look like really there was any damage. But of course, I'm wondering, okay, is she going to, what's she going to do? Like, is she going to tell anybody? Is she going to try to find the owner? Is she going to just kind of look around and just make her way inside Starbucks? Well, as I'm watching this, about this time, another lady walks out. And sure enough, it's the owner of the other car. I'm thinking, oh, this is exciting. You know, this is good. So I'm watching this, and she walks up to her, and, and the lady walks up. The, she, she examines her car that got hit, and she looks at the damage. And, and this poor other lady, I feel so bad for her. She was very apologetic, and you could tell she was embarrassed. And, and the lady looks at her car, and she could tell, you know, no major damage. And she, so she looks at the lady, and she says, you know what, it's okay. And she turns around and heads back into Starbucks. And the other lady, again, she's apologizing. She's like, I'm so sorry. And, and the other lady says, no, no, really, like, it's, not, it's, it's okay. And she just, she just walked inside. Okay? Here's, what I, here's what I observed. The lady whose car was hit said, I'm sorry. Or the lady's car said, it's okay. It's no big deal. She extended her grace, and she let her off the hook. But do you know what expression I saw and the other lady saw on her face? Frustration disappointment, irritation, even a little bit of anger. So she let her off the hook. She says, it's okay, it's okay. And she went back inside. But you could tell the expression on her face was, she was frustrated and irritated. That's how many of us view God. We know we've been forgiven in Christ. We know that Christ has forgiven our sins and he's washed them away. But we still feel Like God is irritated with us, like he has this expression on his face of disappointment because of our shortcomings. In fact, I feel like that's one of the reasons why we have these feelings, is that we feel like our sins and our failures create in us this sense of guilt and shame. And so we typically will draw away from God when we fall short, won't we? Instead of drawing near to God. Instead of running to God in prayer when we fall short, we run away from him and we don't pray. The book of Hebrews addresses this. And in Hebrews chapter 9, we're told that Jesus' blood was shed on the cross to take away all of our sins. And for the person who's put their faith and their trust in Christ, who's entered into that eternal relationship with God, that God remembers our sins no more. But it's not just that he's forgiven us. The truth is we can now draw near to him in prayer without any guilt or shame. I want you to look at me with, uh, look with me in this passage in Hebrews chapter 10. Let's read this together. Hebrews chapter 10, verses 19 through 22. Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus by a new and living way, opened for us through the curtain. So Jesus' death on the cross, his blood shed for us, opened the curtain, and now we can enter into this relationship with God freely because of Christ's death for us. Because of this, that is his body. And since we have a great high priest over the house of God, that's Jesus, he's the great high, high priest, he's the gatekeeper, and through his death, he has now opened up the gates, and he says, now come, come through me and have a relationship with God. He says, let us draw near to God. Listen to this, with a sincere heart, with full assurance that faith brings, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure waters. Guilt and shame will keep you from experiencing the kind of relationship God wants for you. God's grace is greater than your greatest sin or failure. God's grace is greater than your greatest sin or failure. God is bigger than your biggest mistake. And King David, the guy who wrote Psalm 145, this is the guy who committed adultery and the guy who committed murder. And yet he was able to experience God's grace and he experienced God's compassion. Pastor and author uh, Paul David Tripp says this. He says, grace is the place where the unholy can stand before the holy and know that they are fully accepted. In Christ, you are fully loved and accepted. And God doesn't just tolerate you. God is a good father that enjoys you and delights in you. He genuinely gets excited when you come to him in prayer. Some of you, some of you have never connected with the heart of your heavenly father. Maybe you've been attending church your whole life. But you've never connected with the father's heart. And his father's, and the Father's heart is this, that he enjoys you and that he delights in you and that he likes you and that he eagerly and is excited and wants to spend time engaging in conversation with you. King David points out that in this psalm, that even when we do sin and even when we do fall short, even in the midst of our spiritual immaturity, That God has compassion for us. That he is kind and he is patient. That God is slow to anger. And so the next time you fail, the next time you mess up, the next time you're feeling guilty or ashamed, I want to remind you to turn to God and not away from him. The next time you don't feel like praying, pray and remember that God is bigger than your mistakes and God's grace is greater than your sin. And as you turn to God in prayer, I also want to, Encourage you to remember what David did in this Psalm 145 that God is closer than you can imagine. That's number 3. God is closer than you can imagine. Read with me in verse 18 and 20. It says, "The Lord, David says, the Lord is near to all who call on him, to all who call on him in truth. He fulfills the desires of those who fear him. He hears their cry and saves them. The Lord watches over all who love him, but all the wicked he will destroy." People often feel like God is really far away. I mean, sometimes when you go to the place of prayer, you go to pray. Do you ever feel like, I'm not sure if God hears me? Where is God? Do you ever, do you ever think, I, does he even see me? Does he see what I'm going through? Does he see my heart? Does he see my pain? Does he see my circumstances? God's closer than you can imagine. I want you to look at that, those last couple verses in Psalm 145, verses 18 through 20. We're going to end by pulling out a few things in your, in your worship notes. We'll see this. Look in verse 18. It says, The Lord is near to all who call on Him. God is near you. That's number one there in your program under point three. God is near you. He's near to all who call on Him. Look at verse 19. It says, He fulfills the desires of those who fear Him. He hears their cry. God hears you. God hears you. God hears your prayers. God hears your cries. God hears your request. Look at verse 20. It says the Lord watches over all who love him, but all the wicked he will destroy. The Lord does what? He watches over all. The Lord sees you. That's number three in your program. The Lord sees you. That the Lord hears you, he sees you, he's near you. Today, we're going to end a little differently than we typically do. We saved some extra time here at the end of the service because if we're going to do a series on prayer, well, then we might as well give you all some time to pray as a church family. And so as Cameron and the band comes out, we are going to play through a few different songs. And there is no hurry. You can sit right here and relax. We're keeping an eye on the clock. We've given you this time in this space because we want to encourage you to pray. And I'm not sure where you are in your relationship with God. I'm not sure how long you've been following God or whether or not you're just new to Christianity and maybe this is one of your first few times here at church. But here's what I want to encourage you to do over the next several minutes. I want to encourage you to pray. I want to encourage you to praise and to give thanks to God just as David did for God's greatness, for the magnitude of His grace. I want you to give thanks and praise to God for being more gracious than we can ever imagine. And nothing demonstrated God's grace more than Christ's death on the cross for us. In fact, when I pray, one of the first things I will typically try to do is I will start with the gospel. Meaning this, when I sit down to pray, one of the things I do to set my heart and my mind on Jesus is this I just begin to thank Him for dying on the cross for me. Can I ask you a question? When was the last time you thanked God for dying for you? Paying for your sins? For tearing that curtain and making a way for you to have a relationship with God. If you're anything like me, sometimes I can go weeks, months, without ever thanking God for the most gracious gift he could ever give us in Christ. The Bible says in Romans that God demonstrated his love for us in this. That while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That the very hands that created us, that knit us together. The very hands that created the heavens and the earth are the very hands that took nails and that shed blood for you and for me. So maybe you're sitting here today, though, and you need to just kind of call out and cry out to the Lord. Maybe you're facing some difficult circumstances and you need to cry out to him. And you need to call out to him and you need to ask him, God, would you come and help? Would you come and rescue? Would you come and save? Would you come in the midst of my circumstances and show me that you're bigger than any any obstacle I'm facing. Others of you need to cry out for the first time and say, Lord, would you reveal yourself to me? Would you tell me how you feel about me? Would you express your love for me? And just wait and watch how God answers your prayer. Let's pray. Father, I'm so thankful for your Son, Jesus Christ. And I'm so thankful that you demonstrated your love for us in this. That while we were still sinners, you died for us. I'm thankful, God, that you are greater than we can imagine. I'm thankful, God, that you're more gracious than we can imagine. I'm thankful, God, that you're closer than we can imagine. I'm thankful that even right now, this morning, as we sit here, that you're with us. That your word says that you see us. Right now, Lord Jesus, you hear my voice and you hear us. That you're near to us, God pray over the next few minutes, Father, that you would speak to us, your people. Over these next few songs, God, we want to experience your voice, we want to experience your presence. God, would you speak and would you bear fruit, would you bring glory to your name, Jesus? It's in your name we pray, amen.